0: Jimmy's Table.
1: Hey everybody, you're listening to the Jimmy's Table podcast, Jimmy'sTable.com. I'm your host, Jimmy Humphrey, where I like to have conversations about faith, life, culture, and sometimes food. Here, you had to make a big decision. Where did a tree live in your world? Look around and decide, there he is. There he is. Maybe he's got a little mm, crook right there in the bottom. Just make up little stories. Give these trees names and stuff. Make them your friends.
0: Make them your friends.
1: Talk to them. It doesn't matter if people think you're crazy, you know. Painters are noted for being a little weird anyway. We can get away with things like that.
0: If I acted normal, nobody would know me.
1: Today's episode, everybody, involves my friend John Howey. John is a Canadian artist, podcaster, social media maverick influencer, <laughs> and uh, and he's also, I guess you could say, a recording artist. You know, you've got some stuff out there, John, don't you? I, I got a few things out there, yeah. You've got a few irons in the fire, and uh, you're coming up with an album?
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm working on it. I'm hoping to have it done by the summer. Awesome, awesome. So. so that
1: this officially makes you an artist, and that's your credentials. Uh, <laughs>
0: so that makes this I, podcast I do have legit stuff out there already musically. So right, that's two two double singles. Awesome. So four songs. Ooh, I actually bought one of them too. It's awesome. You bought one. Yeah. So where you buy it?
1: Uh, I want to say it was on Google. I bought it. I can't remember. It was Google, Google or Play? Apple? So. Today we're going to talk about art. And Mm. art means a lot of things to a lot of people. Everybody's kind of got their own definition of art. Uh, A lot of people consider themselves artists. um, And a lot of people uh, don't consider themselves artists. But uh, I'm hoping today that maybe we can see that uh, all art ultimately comes as an expression of god in this world god is the ultimate artist and us as individuals created in his image are artistic uh, even if we think we're not um yeah. and uh so maybe you can say something on that john
0: well i i think we all create um and so we all kind of have our unique flavor that we bring to the world that's really what art is it's that unique flavor that you bring to the world I like that. Um, the unique flavor. I, that, you
1: know, so Baskin-Robbins has 31 flavors. <laughs> yes. You know, is, uh, so, so we're all kind of got our own sort of uh, two scoops of 31 flavors going on.
0: Yeah. You know, it was funny because I was thinking of that. And it's like, you know, spicy, good. Bitter can be really bad, though. So it's, like, it's cool to be sp- – You know, I, actually, I was thinking about, like, spicy. And it's like there's such a thing as too spicy. And so you learn how much spice to bring into the world right? because too much spice is overwhelming. (laughs) So I, I think that's part of how we interact with the world that's really important. It's like you have your unique flavor. It's the same thing with sweet. Too much sweet will make you sick too, right? So don't bring right. too much sweet either. It's you got to bring the right amount of flavor to the world.
1: You know, I, I kind of learned that on uh, in the dating scene when I was looking for my wife. And uh, mm. I, I told her I saved the crazy for the second date because I learned that Jimmy is an acquired taste. <laughs> and uh, I couldn't bring it all at once because I could be too much for some people.
0: <laughs> I didn't do a whole lot of dating before I met my wife, so... Well, lucky you. Like, I uh, don't remember <laughs> having to learn that. Yeah, I don't know. I think it was more so in, like, I guess, social situations in general. It's like, oh, okay, maybe I am too much for people. And learning how to reel it back. But I think I learned that pretty early on. Yeah. Like, uh, junior high, everybody hated me. Senior high, people could tolerate me. <laughs> now, Now in my 40s, people are kind of interested in what I have to say, which is cool. I'm hoping I eventually hit that peak. Oh, I'm interested in what you have to say, Jimmy. Well, well, thanks,
1: John. I appreciate it. So, uh, God created the world. We're all ultimately artists and we're creating the image of God. And so, by extension, we are all artists. But, you know, does that mean we're all in what way am I an artist if I don't, you know, express myself and my unique flavors through any sort of traditional art like painting or drawing or? or playing music, can, is art something that we can bring to everything that we do? Can I, as a big, bad banker, or you as an industrial hygienist, can, can, can you, can I, can I bring art to mortgage underwriting?
0: Absolutely, you can. I, I think the way that we handle people in our respective professions, that's, and the way we problem solve, Um, requires a certain level of creativity. So I'm sure there's things that you do at the bank that is your unique flavor. It's the way that you approach problem solving Mm. or the way that you handle interpersonal communication, interpersonal conflict resolution. You've got your own flavor that you bring.
1: Yeah, I feel like I do that. You know, it's interesting. My my former uh, manager... Uh, who has listened to at least one of the podcast episodes that I did recently on uh, my with my bike messenger friend?
0: Yeah, uh, that was a great episode. I just listened to that today.
1: Oh, cool! So uh, my former manager he used to say, uh, you know, w- I, I hate picking up the phone and calling people. And sometimes my mm. previous job involved picking up the phone and calling people. I preferred an email, uh, you know, and he hated that I sent emails. Like, why don't you just? call them i was like well i don't know that they're Mm. going to be available you know i always felt like it was very presumptuous of myself to assume that i'm going to pick up this phone and this other human being on the other end of it is going to be ready and in a place in which i can interrupt their day and and whatever they're doing um to answer my technical question about insurance or an appraisal or a condominium like and so it was always he was always like Jimmy, just pick up the phone. Jimmy, just pick up the phone. Like we had a running joke about it, and I was like, you know, Jake, no, that's that's not my style. Uh, and uh, Jake, just so you know, I would only pick it up if uh, you told me to. <laughs> 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 if
0: well, you're it listening, depends Jake. on the person too, right? Right. Because like for me, it's like I don't want someone interrupting me in the middle of my day, right? To talk. Right. Like I'd rather get that email and deal with it when I want to deal with it, right? But. Right. Um, it seems to me that a lot of people want that personal touch, at least for your first contact with somebody. Right. You know, so I try to do that at work. I'll I'll call them and just make sure that they have a voice. to. But if they don't pick up, I'm just going to send them an email. Right.
1: <laughs> well, I, I always kind of took it as a um, treat others as you want to be treated. And I don't want to yeah. be interrupted in the middle of my important work schedule yeah. to answer a question. Like I'm probably not going to be able to answer your question without interrupting everything and having to go dig, and you're going to be sitting there waiting. So just shoot me an email. <laughs> so you know, if we're not bringing art into the world through music, and instead we're doing it through our, through our own unique flavor, how is that? How do we find that flavor? How do we ex- How do we get that flavor out there? And you know, kind of like when I was dating, my wife is. That flavor, something maybe we should hold back a little bit on, and you know, is there a proper channel for uh, how, how do how do we discover that? Like, and, and I think you're you'll have an interesting answer because your music, the type of music you do, is is not exactly going to be playing uh, at uh, you know on the the radio uh, like with Gwen Stefani and stuff.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, it's like finding that level. I, you know, I think. I think there's, like, a certain level, like, art that's really successful. Um, and by art that's successful, I don't mean just, like, mass consumption art. Right. Like, I think I think when you talk about, like, um, flavors, I I like the flavor analogy. I'm just going to stick with that. Yeah. But I'm like, you know, vanilla. Vanilla has such a broad appeal. But right. how exciting of a flavor is that, right? Right. And so... Um, you know, you talk about like uh, chocolate, that's pretty popular too. Um, black licorice is not going to be very popular. <laughs> My wife I loves mean, black me, licorice. <laughs> yeah, and so people do love it, right? right? And so i I think of myself more like i'm I'm like a pistachio ice cream. Mm. And so I mean, some people like it, but not everybody. Some people don't even know it exists. So, uh, my that's a pretty good analogy. The
1: local French bakery that we go to, Amelie's French Bakery in Charlotte, it, they make these uh, pistachio. Um, oh, what are those little French uh, macaroon cookies that are? It's just probably my favorite flavor: the pistachio macaroon. It's fantastic. Love it. Anyway, we're gaining calories. Well, I
0: think <laughs> I think you like you know, and and I think you you kind of put your stuff out there, and right. you see how people react to it. Right. But you have to determine how much people's reaction is going to matter to you. Right. Right. And so, I mean, like for me, I'm, I'm not worried about the reaction. Right. (laughs) I'm just, I'm honestly just creating what I think needs to be created. Hmm. And so, I mean, really kind of my driving force is that I want to build bridges. Like, that's kind of the heart of everything. And so I think when you talk about what are you passionate about, I think that is what should be driving your art to begin with. Right. And so where Donald Trump is, like, driven by money and driven by kind of that image of prestige. Right. You know, like, he wants he wants to make a mark. Right. Um, I'm more, I want to build bridges. And so what I want to do is shift people's thinking in some way. Hmm. And so my art is starting to permeate everything I do. Um, it comes in my everyday conversations in my day to day. And I, I've been thinking too about like to shift people's thinking in some way, you know, you can do that in a really bad way and, and force the issue too much and just break people. Right. And it's like that we don't get anywhere breaking people. Right. And so my goal is to bend, but not break. Right. And so I, I get inspired listening to podcasts, reading books on various topics. And music is, is starting to become more of an inspiration to me, too. <laughs> music is an inspiration for my music. Um, and it, 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 it erupts in maybe a social media post or an observation uh, on an on an observation i may have or a question i just may throw out there as an experiment to see what people have to say um sometimes it begs a conversation that needs to be had on the wax museum or it might be something i just want to toy with for five minutes mm-hmm. on add masterminds or it could become a theme for a bridge live what song i i have a tendency to obsess over ideas mm. so kind of my driving force is this obsession and just wanting to get stuff out there. And so um, musically, um, I'm, what I've got right now on my album so far is I've got a song that's about the relationship between mental health and art mm-hmm. um, about our unearned platforms and just how dangerous it is to have this unearned pl- platform. Cause I mean, we all, we all have influence now right. on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram, I don't Snapchat, but I heard the kids do. Um,
1: TikTok? Are you on TikTok yet?
0: I'm definitely not TikTok. I'm too old for that. Get off my lawn. Um, Okay, Boomer. I've decided instead of okay, Boomer, where she starts saying, okay, baby. No? No.
1: Not feeling it? That doesn't work for me. I think that might get you in me to prison. Um. <laughs> okay. So like, so you, you, you talk kind of about this, this need to express, do you feel like this like is a, sort of a creative impulse? And why do you think we have that creative sort of impulse that, that causes us to drive to, to, to kind of make this unique flavor and this expression of what we are? And should we, Channel that in such a way to where it's just raw expression of who we are and to heck with the consequences and to heck to with it, whether anybody likes it or not, or should that creative impulse always be channeled in such a way that you know it opens up the eyes and ears and hearts and minds of other people, or is you know, or does one necessarily negate the other, or not? How how do you think that kind of works?
0: I think, um, I'm Really loving this food analogy. I didn't really plan on talking this much about food, but I know you love food, Jimmy. <laughs> I like so. to take pictures of my food and put it up on Facebook. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, I mean, like, I, I think we have to do things that are digestible hmm. to someone else. Otherwise, right. there's no point in doing your art, right? right? And so I think, like, if you were to make, like, chocolate chip cookies, Jimmy, Right. I know you're an art artist when it comes to food. Right. If you were to make chocolate chip cookies, would you just make them according to the same old recipe? Or would you come up with something?
1: No, I, I I, definitely got to put something that's my own particular staple and interpretation in, in something I cook. Like, like I'm 100% dogmatic that a steak should never be cooked more than medium rare. And that if you are going to eat a steak more than medium rare, it should either be by accident. Or you should just excuse yourself from the table and go to McDonald's. Um, because... <laughs>
0: Well, that's it so i mean like okay so there's a certain quality that you need in your art um but i think also like you know if you were to make something like a steak you're going to want to put your signature on it right there's there's something you're going to add to it i don't know paprika i'm just making up stuff but (laughs) (laughs) but some some kind of like this is my signature it's kind of like uh yeah I was gonna say it's kind of like Breaking Bad, and there's that dude who puts like chili powder. Oh yeah, I, re- I remember yeah,
1: yeah. that. Yeah, great, great but, non-Christian show, but uh, <laughs>
0: but obviously, obviously, there's a point where you make it undigestible, right? Because you've you've you mess with the recipe so much that if we go back to the chocolate chip cookies, now I don't know what you would add to chocolate chip cookies. I'm not, I'm not. I'm not a
1: question. baker. I couldn't tell you. Oh,
0: Okay. <laughs> but, a- okay, so. <laughs>
1: I'm more of a if steak and ribs guy. I decide to
0: add a little, I don't know, cinnamon to my chocolate chip cookies, that might work. I right. don't know. Yeah, probably. Um, and so, so if I put too much cinnamon, it's ruined the cookies. Right. And people don't want it, right? right? So I think it's the same thing with um, being out there. I like to be a little bit out there, but I don't want to be too out there. So it's like I could be super out there and I could just have nobody understand me at all. Because I can get weird, right? Right. But it's like putting enough weird to make it interesting but still digestible. Do, I think that's what you need to do with art. Do, um,
1: are you okay with that art not being digestible to everybody? Or do you feel like when you express and create that, you know, it you're going to do it in such a way that it's, it's palatable to other, you know, people. But are you okay with it turning a lot of people off and a lot of people just not getting it and just, like, moving along?
0: Yeah. I have to be, it's it's the (laughs) way I am, man. Like, it's funny because there's like, there's people in my life that get that there's something deeper to me. Right. And they're interested in that. And then there's people in my life that are just like, Oh, John's, John's a goofball and he's weird. That's all they get from me. Right. And I'm like, yeah, there's more depth than that, but you know what? That's okay. Right. And I, I actually really love, those people right now because I'm just looking at it I'm like you keep me humble because you're still around even though you don't get this right. at all right? right it's like they don't really get all this interest, the stuff that I think is really interesting about me the bridge Lavoard of me right. right right they like the John Howie of me not the bridge livevoard of me right and it's it's kind of interesting to me um so no I, I I think it's I think if what you're creating, is is really good it's going to end up being um it's not necessarily going to be digestible to everybody right Right. um if you make gourmet food not everybody's gonna like it right some people are okay with gourmet food and you know some people love gourmet food (laughs) and then there's other people that are just like yeah i I don't understand this right why isn't this steak fully cooked
1: (laughs) (laughs) right Oh yeah, I mean, I, I see it with uh, yeah. some of my. I live here in Charlotte, in the South, North Carolina, and uh, you know I have some Southern friends who would not ever ever eat, you know, a sunny side up egg if the egg has any liquidy yolk to it. You know, just forget it. They they're they're interested in the dry, rubbery, can bounce off the wall sort of egg, um, yeah. and I'm like, man, you are missing out on Flavor Town,
0: folks. Um, <laughs> it's so interesting though because uh you know i remember i was um worship music is such an interesting genre for this because right. it's like people are like the music needs to be singable and i'm like okay well any music is singable right if people really like it they'll sing to it but it's like no 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 you got to keep it simple and singable and i remember having like a big beef with that idea that it's like no we gotta we gotta simplify it and and you know and and then people complain about how simple worship music is all the time it's like yeah it's cuz they have to write it that way right. but but um this guy was saying to me you know you should read tolst leo tolst- tolstoy's book what is art and he's like art is not just something that's like for the elites it's not just something that only the elites get if it is something that only the l- elites get it becomes terrible mm. And Leo Tolstoy was talking about some of the, like, just atrocious plays that the elites would go to in, you know, like whatever, I think it was the 1800s. And it was just garbage, like just the cheesiest, like just out of touch, no reality to it. It's kind of like, it's funny, like when you watch the Oscars and you got like Jane Fonda standing up there and saying the most important thing we can do is raise awareness. And I'm like, (laughs) what? (laughs) But it's like people become out of touch. Right. And so it's like good art is not just going to be for that segment of the population. Right. It's going to have a depth that an intellectual can connect with. But at the same time, people on the outside are still going to enjoy it. And really that's the goal with my single Hey Too," right now right. is like it's, it's a song talking about like not being able to have a conversation with someone cause they're just a terrible person. <laughs> and so it's like, yeah, I want to tell you that you're kind of being a garbage person, but there's really no point in that. So I just smile and I say, Hey, And the chorus is just like me singing Hey over and over again. And it's like the idea was to make it super catchy. Now, this is a song that I was hoping, you know, people would hear it and just be like, yeah, yeah. And, you know, smart people would listen to it and be like, hey, this guy's like saying some things about like how terrible certain people are. (laughs) And but anybody who's not looking beyond the surface is just like, I love this chorus. It's catchy, right? right. And so like I, I like that kind of art. It's so interesting to me because it's like, it has substance that it shouldn't because it still is very um, kind of drawing you, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't know if there's a good food analogy for that, but I think there <laughs> are some food that's really good for you or really good right? that's, you know, but it's still isn't so out there that only the elites can enjoy it. Right. Well, it's funny because you're kind of torn as an artist because you're like, I don't care what the masses want. Right. I want to create something that I think is meaningful. Right. Um, But I can't be fully that way because like, what's the point then? Like, I'm only creating this for myself then. How selfish is that? Right. And so I think that's why it's been important to me is to kind of keep in mind that I want to build bridges. And so, and I, I think that's what this experiment is, is right. that I'm finding, you know, as I start getting these ideas and I'm throwing them out there on social media and I'm seeing how people interact with them and everything like that, it's influencing the type of conversations I have in podcasts and it's influencing the way I write for my music. So it's all kind of, out of one flow, even though they're kind of very different genres that I'm working in.
1: Right. You, you know, I, I like this idea that art can't just be like this, just purely self-expression that I'm just yeah. creating for the sake of creating because I'm so torn and emotionally distraught on the inside. and I just got to get it out and I don't know why, yeah. but I got to put it on canvas. And, yeah. and part of me is like, you know, there may be a hint of truth into that sort of torn, tortured artist who feels just compelled to create and there's something very you know mystical about that and something that is alluring but at the same time it's kind of like you know maybe you're just kind of an arrogant you know smug individual who's just full of themselves and maybe that's really why you're tortured (laughs) you know because oh uh, yeah for sure like if if like yeah because we're supposed to do all things i think as an act of love um, yeah, you know, and not just selfish like when God created the world, he didn't just create the world for his own selfish amusement um, but he created the world so that he could have something else to share in his love um, and his triune love with uh, Father, Son and Holy Spirit you know to to create the world as an expression of the the relationship that they had with each other through all eternity. And so in that act of creating, you know god was doing an act of love so i think you know art yeah. shouldn't be necessarily just a tortured expression but if it art comes from god creative impulse comes from god then it is it, it should be an extension of the love that comes out of us for whatever it is and whoever it is we're ultimately creating for
0: i think that's a big mistake our world makes when it comes to art right now is like this idea of the tortured artist and i mean all these great artists that are mentally ill and end up committing suicide and then their art is like so much more popular now that they've committed suicide it's like they're heroes because of that right um i i remember like andy minio was a guy that just fascinates me i don't know if you've had a chance to listen to him talk or listen to his music um but he's a very intelligent guy and um he was talking about getting better and how he has um, gone through therapy and he's gone through mentorship and he's getting better emotionally and he feels like he will create better art because of it. Hmm. And I was like, huh, that's not what people typically think. You know, when we talk about like uh, comedy in particular, it's like, oh, no, no, you got to be screwed up to do good comedy. And it's like, do you, though? Right. I mean, like anybody can write about how terrible our world is. Right. Anybody can write about how terrible our, lo- you know, my day is, how terrible my life is, how ripped off I am. But to actually like like my thing is, I don't like art that's too rosy. I don't like art that doesn't go deep, right. you know, like pop, you know, like just straight pop all the time. I'm just like, you guys are not talking about real life at all. Right. Like it's very, very surfacey. right? And so I think the ideal thing is for someone to, to write art that takes you to hell and back again,
2: mm.
0: you know? And it's like, this is, this is how bad things are. Right. And this is what my hope for the future is. Mm. And so I want to see artists do that. And so, and I mean, same thing too, with the whole, like, we're unique. Um, I'm, I'm going to do something very unique and out there versus I'm going to do something that's mass appeal. And I'm like, I like people that can do something unique, but it's so good that it gets mass appeal. And so like artists that I really like are, you know, people like, um, 21 pilots is a really interesting one. I don't know if you ever heard their stuff, but, but 21 pilots is, you know, they're a duo actually. And there's a lot of like rap and stuff I got in their music. I'd actually say that's one of the Bridge Lavoie influences is, mm. is um, 21 Pilots. That and Billie Eilish. People always ask me, like, what does my music sound like? And I'm like, it's like a, it's like a cross between 21 Pilots and Billie Eilish. And that's, <laughs> that's coming from my producer who basically does all the music. So I'm just, I'm just, the, I'm just the pop star. I write the lyrics and perform it. Um, you know, I like this kind of idea you express here with,
1: you know, going to hell and back and finding yeah. the hope because, you know, I, I'm. you're probably familiar with Norman Rockwell, the fami- famous painter who's like, you know, done all sorts. I don't know. He grew up in my house and there's Norman Rockwell paintings everywhere. He's like the quintessential American painter. Very popular mm-hmm. for a long number of times. Unfortunately, a couple of years ago, he committed suicide um, because, you know, he was kind of a slight tortured artist, struggled with depression and stuff. But his paintings were amazing. And I think really struck a chord with a lot of people and I, I think not because it was like just cliche pop type painting art, you know, but he, he, they interviewed him once and he talked about what, what, what makes him be able to produce such an amazing painting. And he's like, you know, I'm always looking for the light in my painting. Yeah. And like the, and when I heard him say that once in an interview, I was just like, that just really struck with me. like. You're not creating just to express your torture yourself. You may be tortured. You may be struggling with depression, anxiety, and other mental disorders, even as he was. But, you know, his paintings resonated and were so beautiful and captivated so many people because there is something about just grabbing light that he was always looking for. And I think that really came through in his work um, and what he did.
0: Well, that's—I mean—I think that's—that's what's real. That's what reality is, right? Right. And I think people are always looking for some reality. Right. They don't want just a rosy picture, you know, something fake that's rosy. Right. But and so people instead look for, you know, the Kurt Cobains, you know, and they're just like, oh, this is a guy that's telling us how horrible everything Mm -hmm. is. That's real. Right. And it's like, yeah, but like, what about? Like, there's a song by 21 Pilots. It's called Neon Gravestones. You have to listen to it sometime.
1: Send me the link. Um, <laughs> I've never even heard yeah, of this I band. Yeah, so.
0: <laughs> I will. I um, will. But it's talking about how we glorify those artists that die young, those tortured artists right. that die young. And he's like, you know who should be celebrated? Those people that live to an old age. Mm. And I'm like, wow. Like, nobody nobody's saying this like that is so and I I think that's part of it too I think great art is saying something no one else is saying right and I really I like I like fresh ideas I like fresh I like being you know bringing something that I think is missing right and I think that's that's where I live and I'm okay that not everybody gets it but I want to try to make it digestible for people Hmm. so that, you know, maybe I can just shift their thinking a little bit. I don't expect to change everybody into people like me. Right. I don't want everybody to turn into people like me, but (laughs) I do think that there are things that I'm like, man, you guys aren't really thinking right now. Right. You know, it's like you guys are stuck in your own cage. Right. And I'm, I'm kind of obsessed with this, uh, this, um, analogy,
1: Yeah, go ahead and tell me about the cage. What is the cage?
0: So it's like we we can get in theological cages. Um, We can also get into artistic cages, and like the idea is that you're in this cage, and anything outside of it is garbage. And so I think like what happens a lot of times, like artistically, it's like I only listen to this type of music, or I only like this kind of painting Hmm. or I only like this kind of food. I mean, that's one too, right? right, It's like, I, you know, it's like, I, I used to always, you know, wherever we went, wherever my wife and I went, um, I would order a hamburger (laughs) and she's like, you can't order a hamburger everywhere we go. And so I had to branch out, you know, try steak and try fish and, you know, and so I, I think we get, we get wrapped up in these cages, and we put God in this cage, right? right? And so then anything outside of the cage, we deny its existence or we deny its legitimacy. And, I mean, ideological cages. I mean, that would be another one too, right? Because right. if I'm a strict capitalist and somebody says, well, I think there should be some re- regulations right, so that we don't have monopolies, they're like, oh, no, no, that doesn't fit the cage. Right. Right? And so— I want to break people out of their cages cuz I think there's a lot of caged thinking going on. I think there's a lot of caged theology going on right now. I I think God wants to blow our minds. And um so that's that's part of what I'm trying to do right
1: now. How how do you think we can you know get out of that cage? I mean cuz I think we've all been there. I mean I know I've yeah. I've been there and uh, not just in a well, I used to only be okay with hymns, but now I'm okay with contemporary Christian music, which is a big leap yeah. for some folks. Uh, <laughs> you know. Um, but uh like truly in a way to where we can be okay with things that, you know, are outside of truly our comfort zone and things things that we might almost consider heresy, um in whatever category we're talking about. Either it be it theologically, like some people would, you know, I, I come from a Pentecostal background, so speaking in tongues would be considered heresy uh, for yeah. some folks. But to me, uh, eating steak past medium rare uh, would be heresy. Um, See, <laughs>
0: yeah, I, I couldn't be sold on. I couldn't be sold on like cooking it more than medium rare. So yeah, maybe that's a cage I'm stuck in, <laughs> or maybe those people are just wrong. I don't know. Right, but so. <laughs> <laughs> I guess if you season it right, maybe it could be, like, jerky. But, I mean, you really shouldn't do that to a stick. Um. <laughs> why, God? Why? Yeah. So so
1: how do we bust out of those cages? What do you think is necessary to lure us out? Because, you know, kind of like, I guess you could say, I don't know if you're familiar with Plato's cave analogy, um, where Plato talked about how, you know, men are ultimately slaves living in a cave, uh, staring at the shadows that the light behind them reflects against the wall, and they're fascinated By the shadows, Um, but uh, if you were to cut their chains, you know, and take them to the light, many would still prefer the shadow. Yeah. And lure them out of the cave. Oh my gosh. So how how do we how do we lure people out of the cave or the cage or whatever? Like what is it that causes somebody to be like you know, I'm not I'm not happy with the shadows and the silhouettes bouncing on the wall. I want something more.
0: Art. (laughs) <laughs> i think art is the answer man. okay like i i think you know I, I and i i think i i talked about this too on that episode i did with um kevin yeah small i don't even know why i went here went there but um it's uh jordan peterson who right now is recovering from drug addiction right. like that's awful yeah, but heard uh, that. he's got some really really interesting insights and he's very controversial, which is interesting to me. Mm-hmm. But um, he said that like uh, ideologies, they basically, like basically he said that reality, most of reality is like a dreamlike kind of state. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to put a finger on what's going on in reality. Um, but I mean, there's a few things that are actually like defined truths. Um, you could say like gravity is a defined truth. Right. Um, I don't know. I could look at my hand and say, yeah, my hand exists cause I can like look at it and I can pick up stuff. So I mean, that's a defined truth, right? But it's like ideologies and I'm going to say like all these cages that we built, they essentially take, um, what is actually that dreamlike kind of hard to define stuff. And make it look like it's as real as my hand, or it's mm. as, as 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 obvious as gravity, right, and that's why you've got these people who are like saying, "Oh no, 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 no no, no, um we're all we're all the elect, and those people are not the elect. it's simple, or
2: <laughs> you know,
0: or or they're like saying, no, "No, no, 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 you don't understand this, this is music, that stuff over there, that's like that jungle stuff that's not real music, right. Like there's, and so people are building these cages because they want a safe world where everything is so clearly defined. Right. Um, and so I, I think that they need to be exposed to something that challenges them. And these, you know, rules, like all of these rules and um, structures that we build Um, do not define reality well, but art does somehow Mm. art magically is able to illustrate just how complex things are, because it's like art is an emulation of nature. Mm. And it's because like, um, nature has structure to it, but yet it's completely random. I mean, you look at anything, you look like a tree. And the position of the leaves on the tree—it's like I could not have put them there that way. That's really interesting to me. Right. The way the leaves stick out and stuff like that. I mean, if you just look at nature, you can see it's all there all the time. Right. Where it's structured yet it's random at the same time, and that's what artists trying to emulate. And if you listen to music, it's like it's structured but it's got some randomness to it that makes it interesting and it's enticing you. Um. Any paintings you were talking before we started recording about Bob Ross. Right. And it's like Bob Ross saying, I'm going to add a tree here. And you're like, no, you're ruining (laughs) the painting. He's like, yeah, shut up. It's my world. Actually, he would never say shut (laughs) up. But but you know what I mean? Like, it's like it's there's a certain amount of chaos. Right. And you learn to be okay with the chaos We need to learn to be okay with chaos. We Mm. need to learn to be okay with being unsure. Right. And I think art is the way that we break out of that structure because we start to see the beauty in ambiguity. Right. And um, I'm actually uh, on Tuesday, I'm going to be recording an episode with Kevin Millard. We're going to be talking about Richard Rohr's The Universal Christ, ah. which is a really interesting book. A classic, kind of her-
1: a classic heretical book. How about
0: that? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I'm, I'm intrigued by this notion that you know, if every human being is made in the image of God, does that mean that there already kind of pre-exists hmm. a certain measure of faith in each person? And it's like we could actually grow that measure of faith Mm. in that person. Because I think a lot of times we look at people and we're like, okay, forget everything you know, and you need to become like me. I mean, that's what evangelism tends to be. Right. And it's like, well, how about I sit down with this person, find out where they're at. Right. And it's like I've said before with what I call Tracy's evangelism. You tell me something I don't know. And I'll see if I can tell you something you don't know. Right. (laughs) And it's like it's kind of a a humble way of approaching it. But it's also you learn the language of the person you're talking to. Right. Because you're we're not here to colonize people. Right. Mm. We're here to liberate people. Say that again, preacher. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We're not here to colonize people. We're here to liberate people. And it's like And we liberate them by art. To liberate people, we actually have to learn their language, hmm. um, and then we, for within that context, we're able to navigate them toward somewhere better. Colonization is to come in and say, you know what? Your language is garbage. Right. You need to speak like me. You need to look like me. And I'm like, how boring would our world be if everybody looked the same? Right. So I, I think, you know, like novelty, if we actually are able to get out of our comfort zones and start exploring things, get out of the cave. Like, I think once you have a taste of being outside of the cave, it's intoxicating. Like, I am mm. so I'm so intrigued to hear different points of view on things. Right. Um, I listen to a podcast on Buddhism. I'm sure I talked about this on one of my podcasts. But I was like, life is suffering. If you desire, you're going to suffer. And I'm like, huh. No, that totally makes sense, man. Like, if I desire things that I'm never going to have, then, yeah, I'm going to have suffering. That's cool. Maybe I need to desire things less. And then they're like, to achieve nirvana is to have zero suffering. And I'm like, okay, hold on here. That sounds boring. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think I want Nirvana, but I I think you guys are onto something interesting.
1: Interesting. Well, you know, I I like this this kind of theme of of you know, art liberating people in a way that you know simply coming at it. I get and I guess you could say it, maybe it's heavily enlightenment influence. Although people have already always kind of thought this way. You know, we saw people thinking very. Uh, squarely and in encaged ways as far back as, you know, people have been thinking. Like, but we saw it in the days of Jesus, you know, with the Pharisees and Sadducees. They yeah. had their strict religious orders. They had, you know, all the rabbis weighed in, all their opinions with all the scholars and all the theologians and lawyers of those days. Um, and they were prepared to shut Jesus down um, with whatever Jesus had to say. But then Jesus yeah. comes in his way, not speaking exactly their language and just simply telling stories to people paying pictures with his words, um, and, and speaking in such a way that, that transcended all of that, and so much so that the Bible calls Jesus the Word made flesh, like Jesus is God's spoken word to this world, um, yeah. and it's not necessarily just in this logical, systematic, propositional truth sort of statement, although there are things that, you know, especially if, when you read Paul, um, you know, that, that those things come through in very propositional ways. Um, but even then, it's like, you know, even the Apostle Paul is able to say, well, you know, one of the ways you can prove the creation of God is simply to behold the beauty of God in all of creation. Yeah. Um, And I think yeah. that's one of the most... Personally to me, when it comes to like, you know, logical proofs of God's existence sort of stuff, I kind of find it a weird thing to call it a logical proof of God's existence because it seems more than that. It seems a little bit more mystical. But I think, you know, just the beauty of creation, when you when you look yeah. at the the trees in the fall and the way the leaves, you know, shade themselves and color themselves and hang on the tree in every which direction, that's beauty and that's art and, you know, would... That as a proof of God, past some sort of uh, cr- close academic scrutiny um, and a laboratory of philosophers, as a proof of God? No. But I bet it'll awaken a lot of souls and that'll speak to people in a much more powerful and profound and almost undeniable way than, well, we're going to prove God is the unmoved mover today and, you know, the first cause principle and all that sort of stuff. And even though that's all good, but, you know, I don't believe in God because I went through some sort of logical steps and processes and systematic thoughts in order to arrive, well, I believe God exists because of X, Y, and Z. Oh, no I, I had an experience with god and that awakened me um and that brought me out of the cave or and busted out my cage um yeah
0: so yeah yeah go ahead and you know i i think you know what i find really intriguing too when you talk about like jesus jesus as an example i mean he was a storyteller right right and it's like he would tell stories and he's like uh Yeah. So um, there's this there's this boy that comes up to his dad and he says, hey, you know, like instead of giving me all the money when you die, can you give it to me now? (laughs) Right. (laughs) You know, and it's just these kind of shocking stories. And I wonder how many people just sat there and they're like, oh, Jesus, and this crazy (laughs) story. Like how many people actually like got it? Right. Right. Like, I mean. I think a few did. Right. But like I think there's a lot of people that were just ent- entertained by him. Right. And I just I just think that's so interesting. It's enticing that the art of story is so enticing to people. And those stories related to people where they were at. I mean, he talks about a shepherd and, you know, a shepherd chasing after this lost sheep and they're like, "Oh yeah, yeah, my brother I was gonna say Pedro,
1: totally wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't sound a my little uh, Hebrew enough. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, my brother Ananias, he lost his <laughs> sheep. Yeah, that, that's better. Right. I don't know. I I, I like Pedro better though. It's yeah. just funny. <laughs> well, you but know, but it's like it was relatable, right? right? And So it's like I think with our art. It's like we make something relatable, but it's something at the same time that pushes the envelope a little bit, because if we're not going to do anything that changes our world, it just seems purposeless, right? right. And so it's like we want to create for the sake of creating some kind of a, some kind of a paradigm shift in the universe. You know, <laughs> t- thinking about this, it just popped in my mind. I forget which
1: parable it was, um, but there is a parable Jesus told towards the end of his ministry shortly before he was crucified that it says that the, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, perceived that he, after listening to his parable that he was speaking about them. And it's like, you know, the guys who were the last ones in the room that were ever supposed to get it, they were like, wait a second, he might have been talking about us on that. We don't like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, we got that the joke was about us on this one, um, and you know that that moved them to action and eventually decided, you know, to say, hey, we're he's pushing us too far. We're gonna have to do something uh, ultimately about him. He's gonna turn the world upside down, and so we're gonna have to do something about this because we like our little box here in Jerusalem, uh, this box yeah. that God lives in, uh, and we have to defend yeah. it at all cost against the Romans.
0: Yeah. You know, I I think something I'm really struggling with right now, just trying to wrap my mind around. And I always just, I don't know if everybody does this, but I just like, there's just ideas that just keep, I guess, cycling in my head. And I'm like, I got to work on this. I got to chew on this. I got to keep trying to figure this out. And I'm thinking a lot about like, um, you know, bridge building and how you end up in between all the time. And it's like, at what point does it become a compromise? Hmm. You know, at what point are you not actually standing for anything because you're so busy trying to understand both sides of everything? Right. And I mean, it's like Jesus pushing the envelope. Like, very clearly, he had an agenda to kind of shake things. Right. And... I guess he wasn't like too interested in like building a bridge between the religious leadership and the people, was he?
1: No, he he seemed to be interested about getting the people to draw onto him. (laughs) Yeah, there was a definite like, okay, you need to come to me, come to Jesus moment. Um, But he was definitely interested in bridging the gap between heaven and earth, uh, to say the least. Yeah, and you know, so he was definitely building bridges there. And he was that bridge, hot glory. So why do you think that artists seem to fit into certain sort of stereotypes? Because we usually think it's a left brain, right brain type thing. Some people are math inclined. Some people are artistic inclined. And that artist, um, you know, they're the, what is it, left brain artist or left brain or right brain? I forget.
0: I always mix it up too. I think it's I think it's right-brained as the artist and left-brain because I want it to be right-brain. <laughs> that's the practical,
1: right? Yeah, I, for, I forget. Yeah, it's I,
0: the opposite of what I want it to be, of course.
1: It always is for me too. So, but whatever brain, yeah. whatever side of the brain the artists are using. But um, you know, so we you know peg everybody down into this little stereotype of oh, you're more mathematically inclined or you're more artistically inclined, and there definitely seem to be people who fit that mold. Um, but yeah. then we also, like, further divide it down amongst the creatives, as we call them. Um, we seem to find a lot of the creatives are found in hippies and druggies, you know, homosexuals and, you know, people who we would consider otherwise eccentric and kind of on the margins of society. Why is it that do you think that artists often, you like, you know, you start saying, hey, Son, you're you're hanging out at a drama club a lot, and then you immediately question your son's sexuality. You know, um, yeah. you know how how is it that we get into those sort of stereotypes? Why do we seem to think those type of individuals permeate artistic circles? And maybe they do. I don't know. Maybe I've not done some, done some sort of academic research on this ahead of time. But you know, how come it is we see these sort of stereotypes among the artistic? Is that is that something that's real? You think, or is that something that? Um, you know, we've just kind of, you know, maybe made some stereotypes about
0: so we could dismiss some people. I remember in my 20s, just to answer the first part of that question, I remember in my 20s, you know, like I was kind of really kind of figuring out what I am. And I came up with this statement. I'm like, I am a contradiction. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, uh, I like... I like to defy stereotypes. And so me, I'm a math major, hmm. and I'm also an artist. And so that's not supposed to happen, is it? Interesting, All right. And so, I mean, I'm, I do a lot of um, problem solving in practical ways, and then I also do a lot of problem solving artistically. So I kind of have both brains going on. Um, and I, I think there's other people that do too, but it seems like most people are either left brain dominant or right brain dominant. And I think that's more common. Right. Um, so I, I, I think, you know, like we talk about hippies, druggies, homosexuals and eccentrics. Um, I think most neurodivergent people stand out. Mm -hmm. And so people that deviate from the norm, with their brains. right? Um, I, I, Joaquin Phoenix's Oscar speech. I don't know <laughs> if you heard it. Yeah, I heard some of was, it. Oh, my gosh. So he like does this whole thing, and it's like he walks up there, and he's like, I'm not here to cause trouble, contrary to what everyone believes. And he's like, and I just want everybody to know, I am no better than anyone else here. And then he starts talking about how we treat cattle. And... <laughs> He's like, we take babies away from their mothers far too young. And then we take the milk that was supposed to go to the babies and we put it in our coffee. And he goes on and on about this. <laughs> I'm just sitting here the whole time. It was just riveting to me. I was like, that that kind of might be what I sound like sometimes to people, <laughs> right? And I right. was just, it was just the most beautiful thing. <laughs> and there were so many people that are just like, what the heck was that right and i'm like oh i love it so much but it's like the art artists are so quick to recognize beauty and people Hmm. that are not artistic are not as inclined to see the beauty in everything like they are like that's just a tree right like john why are you obsessed about the positioning of the leaves like that's so dumb like you're wasting your time you know anyways but it's like, so I mean, like there is definitely, you know, left brain dominant and right brain dominant kind of people and the right brain dominant, I'm assuming that's the artistic people, <laughs> um, are, are more obvious. And, um, I think, you know, you talk about like hippies, hippies have a lifestyle that just embraces beauty in all forms. And so it's very easy for them to make that connection to art right. because they're already there. Right. Um, druggies, they tend to make the most neurodivergent work. I love that word, neurodivergent. <laughs> that is a great word. Uh, it is such a great term.
1: I'm going to have to see if um, I can't squeeze that into my title somehow. I think people will click oh it gosh. just to find out what it means.
0: <laughs> well, I, I picked it up, actually. I was, um, there was a Twitter account where this person said, were you, you know, a gifted person with ADD that never got recognized? Like in your schooling, it was never recognized that you're a gifted person with ADD. And I kind of responded to it. And I'm like, yes, like that totally was something that happened. And, you know, as an adult, you know, I had a psychologist that basically said, you're gifted and this is why people don't get you. And I'm like, oh, so it's not because I'm stupid or because I'm (laughs) weird. There's actually something my brain's doing that other people's brains aren't doing. Right. And, you know, not to say I'm better than anyone but it's just like my brain works differently so i have to figure out how to match the pace of other people's brains right so they can pick up what i'm doing right but anyways um i realized afterwards that this lady i was interacting with is like she talks about her whole like thing on twitter is for women with add so interesting i guess i'm still gonna follow her (laughs) because it's interesting to me but that's a targeted market contrary to what some people think Bridge can be short for bridget i guess (laughs) but a a couple times people use the wrong pronoun i'm like yeah whatever um what what
1: pronoun do you prefer john
0: (laughs) (laughs) you pick i don't care um anyways so druggies tend to make the most neurodivergent work so many great music pieces have been dreamt up by someone high on weed or shrooms i don't really know a lot about drug culture (laughs) but i'm convinced that psychedelics can help someone step out of themselves Mm. to create something fresh and beautiful i don't think you have to use drugs to do that though right i think stepping out of yourself like there's something in drug culture that kind of gives people a shortcut to the transcendent Hmm. and i think that you can get to the transcendent through meditation um through worship you know and and when you talk about like pentecostal circles i think they are there sure it's like when you're in that like kind of holy spirit i mean you've seen like those videos of like bethel where you know They've got someone up there playing music and they're like dancing, and then right. you got somebody standing there and they're like painting during the worship <laughs> service. And right. I'm like, that's that's all psychedelic. Who, who brings their art it's to like, church? <laughs> but it's like Holy Spirit psychedelic, right? right? It's not it's not gonna have like the bad consequences. Right. Um
1: I would love to show up to a church service with somebody having their easel and some tubes of paint ready to go. <laughs>
0: It's funny you mentioned homosexuals. I'm like, I try not to touch this topic very or, much. Right. And I only
1: tossed it out there because it's such a cliche,
0: you know. It is. It is. But I'm like, there is an attention to aesthetics that, you know, the, the homosexuals have cornered the market on. Mm. Um, and I, I think it's especially true with gay males. And I, my theory right now, my working theory, is I think it may be because straight males historically are discouraged from focusing on the aesthetics.
1: Hmm.
0: it's like, what are you doing? Standing in a mirror. Right. You know? And so I, I think that like to be a manly man, you know, people say don't focus on aesthetics. Right. I think actually a lot of our problems in our society with, you know, the way we see gender, the way we see sexuality um, would be lessened if we stopped stereotyping all the time and hmm. trying to fit people into gender cages. Right. I, I think, that you know like hey man he's a dude that likes to dress sharp right hey he's trying out something he's dying his hair pink (laughs) i have a kid with have a kid with pink hair right now i'm like all right cool right (laughs) um but um when you actually acknowledge that you're no longer designing to fit that cage fit that manly man kind of stereotype you have full permission to explore that, mm. and so I think when we have people who've come out of the closet, now they feel like they're fully free to be whoever they feel they are. Interesting. And so I think a lot of these men who you know are you know su- supposed to be heterosexual um, can be um, caged with their personality because it's like, well, I, I gotta, I gotta make sure people don't like, I I can't wear a pink shirt. Can I? Right. Maybe I can wear a pink shirt. Um, but they're like very, very conscious of keeping this masculinity thing alive. And I think part of it is to please other men like, so that other men are like, no, 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 he's okay to be around. He's not attracted to me. (laughs) Um, but then also to attract females, right? Because right. it's like, well, I want women to like me, so I need to be as masculine as possible. Right. And so I, I just there's such a high level of insecurity. And I think that's something that's really happened, you know, when our society has shifted in the way that we view sexuality, and as we're shifting the way that we view gender, right. um, as much as it creates a lot of confusion for people, I think it's also kind of liberating some people to just like explore things. Right. And I'm not saying just explore things sexually. I'm not going to get into that, but, um, <laughs> that's another podcast. <laughs> but, yeah. But being able to kind of explore, you know, different expressions. Right. Cause right. it's like, well, I really want to design ladies dresses. Right. And it's like if I really wanted to design ladies dresses, I think people would look at me weird. Right. But then it's like I'm gay and I want to design ladies dresses. Oh, okay, that's normal. You go do you. And so I think there's um I don't know. It's just weird to me that we don't give people permission to do like whatever. Right. Well, you, you know, know and it, we have to
1: It's interesting you bring up that particular point because my father who blue-collar worker, worked as an electrician yeah. in a factory for most of his adult life, you know, very hands-on, manly man sort of guy. Since he's retired with my mom, you know what they've done? They've bought a fancy sewing machine, and my dad spends hours upon hours with my mom making purses.
0: Interesting.
1: I know, right? And I'm yeah. kind of like, um, Dad, do you know, and part of me is like just playing it up for fun. Do we need to have a conversation? (laughs) Like, is there something you need to tell us? You know, because you know, and you do,
0: you, Mister Humphrey. Don't listen to your
1: son. (laughs) Right, absolutely. You do you. And so I was like, Dad, you can't tell me you're a seamstress. Um, You know, like what what is that? So we had actually we had fun with it, and we started looking up. um, Like, well, you have a. It's not a seamstress; you would be a tailor. But you're designing purses. So what would be a man like? So we found whatever the French word is, and I was like. Okay Dad, I, and I forget what the French word is for it. I forget it offhand for, for a man who like does these sort of things, but it sounded very masculine. So I was like, okay dad,
0: you can do that, you know. <laughs> I, I carry a man purse by the way, so
1: well Indiana Jones did too, so you're good.
0: Yeah, yeah. My my um my uh iPad fits in nicely with it, so I just bring it with me everywhere. Uh, nice. So
1: uh the church, you know. Yeah. Art has been a thing in the church. It's like for centuries. The, the all the great artists were Christian. And now the church yes. celebrates, you know, people who would not exactly be considered great artists, like Kirk Cameron. Um, <laughs> uh, but, you know, when we can, we'll bag a Kanye West. Um, yeah. So, like, what has happened in the church over the years that we've come to the place... It, have we been too cagey, and that's why we've lost the great artist that used to define Christianity and culture, Um, and now we're left with, you know, I'm not trying to beat up on Kurt Cameron. He's a nice guy, loves Jesus, but let's just be real. He's a two-bit actor, kind of a hack, uh, at the end of the day, and he's capitalizing off of, you know, Christendom now with his kind of tired Mike Seaver act from the 80s that he's not turned off in a long time. Um, You know, how, how do we as a church deal with art, and why is it that it seems like we have the leftovers or the wannabes in our art circles today instead of the individuals who are making a point with their art?
0: That's interesting. I think, like, uh, if you talk about, like, the glory days of Christian art, um, those were the days when the church and the state were fully aligned, right
2: mm, right those
0: are the days when you had the state commissioning michelangelo to paint the uh, i want to say temple but the cathedral right. right sistine Chapel. and so it's like i mean all art was christian then right because right. everybody was a christian right yeah i wonder how real that christianity was right. if everybody was a christian was anybody really was it just a I, cultural I yeah and so I mean we could say those were the glory days, but I'm like, I, I don't know if all of that was was real. Um, I think what happened is, you know as as the church started to lose its influence on the state, um, maybe the best artist went mainstream and started creating secular art. Um, and the church kept making art, but it didn't get the same acclaim. So when you talk about like the hymns of like the 1800s, I think that's the time when art was split, right? Mm-hmm. And there was, there was secular art and, and Christian art. And that Christian art kind of had its own distinct flavor that wasn't really like the world's because the world was doing right. more kind of working into the kind of that ragtime time kind of stuff in the early 1900s. <laughs> they viewed the world's art with contempt. I mean, like, I think a lot of the world's art was done in bars, right? At that point, right. um, rock and roll was considered demonic when it came. Um, then the church started to realize that the better art was outside of the church. Um, and Larry Norman comes along and he says, why should the devil have all the good music? <laughs> and, and, Larry Norman was such a radical. I was listening to his discography and I'm like, Oh my gosh, there's one point where he says, um, this song has gotten so much play in churches until people realized I wrote it. (laughs) And I'm just like, this guy was like such a radical, but eventually what Larry did took off. And you know, in the eighties you had like Michael W Smith, you had Amy Grant, you had Carmen, you know, that were actually starting to create some Christian art. Bob Dylan. But Yeah, Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan was the old Kanye, right? Right. Um, <laughs> and so, I mean, like, there was a lot of that. And I know for me, you know, in the 90s, there was so much good, like, Christian music. I mean, I wanted to be a Christian music star. Mm. You know, I was so intrigued by it. And I think... It's hard to really put a finger on what happened in the early 2000s, but it's like all these big Christian bands started to fade or they went mainstream. And I remember actually saying this, you know, I was like in the early 2000s. I'm like, man, if worship is a lifestyle, I want worship music that I would not be ashamed to play in my car. Right. And you know what? After the two early two thousands, it's like somebody heard me. <laughs> it was because of me. No, <laughs> um, but you know, bands like Hillsong United and Jesus Culture started making that happen. Right. I mean, there was music that was at such a good quality level that it's like this is the kind of stuff I wouldn't be ashamed to play in my car. You know, right. songs like Oceans and I mean, really, Jesus Culture. There's just a lot of rock guitar stuff that's amazing. Sure. Um, I, I think we're still in the midst of that worship revolution, where worship music has become, you know, this whole different genre. And you've got like Bethel just keeps cranking out m- music, and Hillsong, and um, even you know Stephen Furtick's church, Elevation. Called? Elevation. They right. got some good music too. Yeah, right? they do. So we won't get into Stephen Furtick. <laughs> I, know, I know you love him. Oh, um, big fan. <laughs> So I mean, like I think worship music has has is kind of coming into its own. Right. Um, what's interesting about someone like Kanye, is that it's like this guy, you know, who's doing hip hop, and just super crude lyrics. I haven't even listened to his old stuff. I've been actually gone through like pretty much all of Eminem's discography now. I'm like kind of <laughs> shocked at some of the stuff I heard, but um, I'll have to go through Kanye's too. Um, but you know, he shifts and says, I'm a Christian now. And I don't know if you watched, like, uh, interviews with him. But so he's got a really interesting flavor of Christianity. It's, it's um, some spirituality going on there. Yeah. Um, and, like, you know, kind of this idea that, like, it's got quite a bit of prosperity doctrine in it. And oh, yeah, totally. But I'm, like, I'm intrigued. And I'm kind of watching this. And I'm, like, you know, I'd be cool with Kanye coming to my church. <laughs> Not ready to make him my pastor, though.
1: Right. Yeah, I don't know about the entire Kanye leading uh, church anytime soon, but, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's interesting to see artists transition like that. Or, you know, it's yeah. interesting to see some try to play both sides. You have, like, Lecrae, who, you know, is doing his thing, and he, you know, makes no bones about it that he's a Christian, but he kind of crosses over. Um, oh, yeah. and then you have that one chick who recently started singing I've Lauren, Lauren Dingle. Dag. Lauren Dingle is her name, I think.
0: Lauren Dagle.
1: Dagle, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's
0: like Alexander Dagg. Like yeah. You pronounce the
1: O. Uh, right. And she sings songs that, you know, you could easily sing in the church, but, uh, yeah. you know, it gets a lot of popular play, and they're even giving her awards for it. Oh, uh, she's incredible.
0: Days. Yeah, she's yeah. very talented. Um, but, I mean, I think she's going mainstream. I mean, that's kind of what happens a lot of times is people. It's like, okay, well, I'm done with the church now. right? And um, I think that's what happened to a lot of our artists from the 90s right. is they're like, okay, well, I'm kind of done with this. And I think, you know, what's happened is there's not, I mean, this is all money-based, right. you know? Like it, you start with like the cathedral being painted. Yeah, we could afford Michelangelo then. Um, now we can't afford Michelangelo. Mm. Um, <laughs> and, but now it's like, we would be asking Michelangelo to paint a picture that a soccer mom mm. who drives <laughs> a minivan, <laughs> whose husband just left her, would appreciate. Right. And um, I know like there was a guy, um, Aaron Gillespie, who's like, he's basically like the Jack White of Christian music. I don't know if you know who Jack White is, but no. um, well, hopefully somebody does. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, keep but in mind, just because like, I don't know him doesn't in, mean he's not good. He's been in several bands. I think he does some producing and stuff like that. But Aaron Gillespie, um, I know mostly, I know his solo stuff. Um, the Afters, I think, is this band. Oh, no, The Almost, not The Afters. But um, he was saying, like, when he was writing stuff for Christian music, this, these people on Christian radio were like, okay, can you can you write music for the soccer mom Hmm. who drives a minivan whose husband just left her. You need to write music for that. And it's like, that's the demographic now. Like if you listen to Christian radio, that's all it is. Right. And it's just like, that's the demographic. And it's like, and so I think that's where, you know, it's like, because that's where the money is. That's, that's where the money is. Anybody outside of that demographic is just listening to secular music. Like they have no interest. Right. And so it's funny because like for me, for the longest time, I wanted to be that Christian artist. I wanted to be like one of those 90s Christian artists. <laughs> and for me, that model has changed. Right. And it's not because I want to make money, because I'm like, I just, I'm not going to make money at this. I don't care. Um, but it's just like, I, again, it's like I'm more interested in building a bridge than just making music that everybody's already heard on Christian radio already. Because right. I feel like every song on Christian radio is like kind of the same thing. Right. It's like is that is that country or is that just Christian?
1: Right. It, well, it seems like know. nobody's trying to bring like a unique perspective, you yeah. know. To I mean, like you said, it just for the soccer mom, and it's funny you should mention that because I, I did a podcast. I forget what it was. I even forget the point I made it. And I just forget. Yeah, I it's a, a it's, it's a theme I've mom. kind of yeah, been. Yeah, it's a theme I've beated for a while. Is that you Jesus know and Jesus mom. and the soccer mom? And as far as I'm okay. convinced. You know, there's not much that Jesus Christ has to say to the soccer mom that would actually probably be relevant for her life because her American life is so foreign, um, and her concerns are so foreign to that of the gospel that there's a huge disconnect. And bridging the two, um, you know, I'm not saying it can't be done. It can be. But there's going to have to be an awakening for that to happen. There's going to have to be some art that is created for that to happen. Uh, to get them out of these little middle class soccer mom bubbles um, that, you know, they might as well be listening to Britney Spears driving down the road. And I'm not knocking Britney. Love you, Britney. No, <laughs> um, no Britney, Britney Spears is trash. Um, but uh, no, seriously, like, I, I feel like there's this disconnect between Jesus and the soccer mom. And we, we almost have made an idol out of all of that and what the soccer mom represents, because that's so Americana, you know. That yeah. is that is pop. Um, it is so caged, right? Yeah, it,
0: it's it's caged, right. right? And and it's like you you can't get outside of this cage, Aaron Gillespie. Right. And Aaron Gillespie is actually a guy that is um has lost some of his faith, and mm. I think part of it is the treatment he got as a Christian artist. Right. And I'm like, this is this is terrible. But I'm like, man, like it's it's like God works outside of these cages, right? And if we could break outside of the cages and not expect, you know, our Christianity to be safe and fun for the whole family. That's like the that's the tagline for our local Christian station. Safe and fun uh, for the whole family. Right. Yeah, Caleb I, type I, stuff. I just I can't get do that. It, but the Bible isn't. The <laughs> right. Bible is not safe and fun for the whole family. Right. FYI. <laughs> um anyways, you know, I, I think, you know, when I think about someone like Kanye West, I kind of treat Justin Bieber the same way. Uh, I was thinking about how like i I used to be so hopped up on this idea of Christian culture, right, and how we should have a powerful Christian culture. And oh, we've got a we've got a a leader now, a, a politician who's a Christian. He'll make us legit. Right. I need that politician to make us legit. I need Mel Gibson to make us legit. He's making this movie about Jesus, and he makes me legit. <laughs> Marcus Naslin's a Christian hockey player. He makes me legit, you know? And I was so hopped up on that idea. And I think that came crashing down when Mel Gibson got arrested. He was drunk. He was saying, you know, like, um, anti-Semitic slurs. He was attacking this lady police officer by talking about a part of her anatomy. You know, like, it was so weird. And I was like, oh, And I'm like, that's what happens when we, like, hitch our wagon to someone like that. Right. And I'm like, I don't need someone to speak for my Christianity. Um, I want to rock what God created me to do. And I think that that's the true uncaged spirituality, the true uncaged artistic expression. It's like you rock that flavor that you've got. And you figure out how to make it digestible to people around you. And I'm not even gonna say as many people as possible, because I don't want you to water it down too much. Right. You figure out what that level is. And I mean, like, you know what? Like, you may reach five people. You may reach five hundred people. You may reach five million people. It doesn't matter. Whatever you feel led to do. Right. Do it. You know, and don't worry about comparing yourself to other people like i'm so done comparing myself to other people Mm. i am i'm convinced nobody does what i do so i don't have anybody to compare myself to i don't know if that's weird but i'm like i don't i'm pretty sure there isn't anybody that does what i do so (laughs) i'm good right so i'm just gonna rock it as best i can i mean i am i am you and me we're and everybody that's listening right now you are god's masterpiece now do that some justice, right? And you know, I, 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 you
1: know, I was just thinking right now about the Psalms. You know, you read the Psalms. There's a lot of them. I forget how many off the top of my head. I should probably know because I went to Bible college and seminary. But anyway, um, <laughs> you know, 140 something or 150. What was it? I, I forget. Anyway, um, but you know, you read some of the Psalms, and that's not going to exactly be for every day Sunday morning sort of singing. You know, there's not. You know, there's some psalms that, you know, the Lord is my shepherd, you know, and that's all great. But, you know, there are some psalms that are like, God, get them. Um, and, you know, all yeah. of that came from the same person. And it was, but for different expressions, for different points. And that psalmist life um, and David's yeah. life when he was going through different things. And some of those yeah. songs that he had written that are beautiful that we, you know, paint pictures of these days. Um, you know, those are the songs we, we would love to sing on Sunday mornings or on the radio. And, but you know, what about the, just like, you know, I I feel like David would have been a you know, occasionally publishing some rage metal. Um, (laughs) you know, he would have been out there shredding it, screaming full blast. And I I think some people
0: would have been like, Whoa, David, well, you can't sing that in church this week. That's my gosh. That's so crazy too. It's (laughs) like, yeah, can you. Can you stab my enemy in the face, God? Right. I'm like, I, I can't, I can't imagine being there. Right. I'm just, it's not in me. Right. Right. <laughs> but I mean, I haven't been through what David w- went through. Right. I, I've never slain a giant, so he probably has seen some violence that I never did.
1: And I didn't have a bi- <laughs> and I wasn't serving a bipolar king who was throwing spears at me all day, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh,
0: um, well, it's nuts. Right. But I, I do think that the place that we're the most behind as Christians is in cinema. Mm. And I'm like, you know, I... You
1: mean Facing the Giants wasn't the greatest Christian movie ever?
0: I loved Left Behind <laughs> when it came out. But I was more of a caged Christian then. Mm, right. Um, I loved Fireproof Your Marriage. <laughs> or Fireproof, sorry. The movie was Fireproof. Right. We did a Bible study, Fireproof Your Marriage. Right. You know the best part of that movie is when he like takes his computer and just smashes it. Yeah, that was pretty good. That was so awesome. Loved it. But it's like, I think you know, I I really like kind of relevance magazine on our you know take on our culture. Well, they where they will look at mainstream movies and how you know, Christians are portrayed in mainstream movies. And I mean, like, one of my favorite movies I've seen lately that was a portrayal of a Christian was Hacksaw Ridge. Yeah. And what is that, probably three years ago or something like that? Right. That it came out. Yeah, it was a great movie. But but that notion that this guy was so convicted that he should be nonviolent, that he goes as a medic in World War II and refuses to carry a gun, which, like, no medic ever would do. Right. It's insanity. So, I mean, like, I just, I love that kind of stuff where it's like they're out there just in the mainstream and it's kind of subversive sometimes right. where it's like our faith is on display for all to see. Right. And, I mean, that's, that's what I want to do as Bridge of I just want to be kind of out there. Right. And I, I'm not really shy about my faith, but I'm kind of like, I want to build bridges. These conversations that I'm having, you know, on Twitter and stuff like that, I'm there's a lot of I deliberately have fostered a feed that's got people of very different points of view. Right. Lots of people from, you know, know if I have that many atheists, but I do. Well, I do follow some atheists. I listen to some atheist podcasts. Humanism is so fascinating to me because these people are just like, we have one life to live. Let's make the most of it. And I'm like, you know what? As a Christian, I can get behind that, too. I want to make the most of this life, too. You care about other people, you know. It's like Christians have created this straw man of what atheism is. It's right. like the guy from God's Not Dead. He's like, <laughs> "What? You have cancer? How could you talk about this right now?" I wanted to talk about me. Right. Why don't? Why do you have to talk about your cancer? This is stupid.
1: Right. I love that scene. You,
0: you know, I, th- there's this <laughs>
1: there's this way I think that when the church is embracing a art that it's it's become dangerous and corrupting because it panders to our cages um, it panders yeah. to those yeah. soccer moms and so yeah. you know you see facing the giants or fireproof and you just are giddy and crying and hysterical all in the same movie you know just because it's like oh well i have my jesus t-shirt and i have my jesus movie you know if yeah. we if if, if if a lot of if some of these folks who make you know facing the giants or fireproof or whatever you know, If they were to try to make a movie like Hacksaw Ridge, they, they they wouldn't make a movie about the pacifist who refused to fire a gun even in basic training at defiance of his commanding officer and then refused to carry uh, uh, arms into battle. They would make a movie about the guy who shot other people in church in self-defense because that would pander yes. into the God and guns theme that everybody so, so loves. And that would be our yes, movie. They we, would. And they would have a yes. big flag uh, of America... And the national yeah. anthem, you know, playing full-blown uh, as part of the opening thing. And people would be like, you know, and that's what it would be about to people. And people would eat it up, and yeah. people would love it. But it's like, you know, art like that, you know, I'm not like, I'm not for burning books. My wife is a librarian. But, you know, maybe there are some things we do need to burn occasionally.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, and you talk too, about, like, art being dangerous. I think what's really interesting is what's happening in Hollywood right now. And I, uh, one of my favorite, uh, episodes, I haven't listened to Jeff Dornick's podcast in a while, but, um, he had this, uh, conversations with Jeff episode where he was talking to Ian J G- who is, um, he, he was a child actor. And now he works for one of the major news that networks. And that guy is like fiercely like rah, rah, Trump and whatever. But right. you know, that whatever Trump guy, whatever his name is. Um, <laughs> but, uh, in in this um interview he said hollywood has this tendency to make films in which you have to accept certain premises to enjoy the movie
1: mm. for
0: example many of them would start with the premise that capitalism is bad right. which it is or <laughs> all christians are stupid which isn't really true i mean i'm not right but um but it's like they start with a premise, right? And so like this, this type of art, you know, with filmmaking, you have to start by getting your audience to buy into a premise. All right. Christian movies are designed assuming they've already bought into that premise. Mm. And that's what makes those movies quite garbage because you're thinking about it. You're like, this is so fake. This right. isn't real. Right. And so it's like, but somehow like Hollywood movies have done this in such a way that they're actually shifting the way people see culture. They're shifting culture, right? Right, They're driving. So it's like, so how do we, how do we get in on that? Right. And I think that's where, um, you know, it's really interesting. Um, Logan, Judy, I read his book and it was like a dystopian future. And it's like this dystopian future where like parents don't raise their own kids. Hmm. The state raises their kids. Um, sexual education is actually the kids are taught physically
1: hands on learning
0: yeah yeah <laughs> it's like just the most messed up thing Jeez. and i'm like this needs to be a movie All it's right. amazing and it's like <clears throat> but i'm like it's such an it, it's a really interesting way of showing liberalism gone too far right in an artistic way and it's such a beautiful thing and i'm like i think our art we got to stop you know, trying to create art that's preachy, right? And take a lesson from Hollywood, where we just make it this beautiful thing that everybody's really into, and they don't even realize what they're being sold. Mm, that's good. I like that. And you know, I think that kind of plays into something with like
1: the context in which art happens. Because like a couple of years ago, my wife and I we went to Chicago uh, for vacation, and mm. we went to the Chica- Chicago Art Institute. Where, you know, they have all these great historic paintings and, you know, masterpieces from over centuries. And I went out of there after having viewed just about all of it in one day. And I felt depressed because I felt like that wasn't art that I saw. I felt like I went there and they were killing art because they broke art down into this sort of scientific, historical, librarian sort of categorization of art. Um, and it didn't feel like art because art has a context. It is able to evoke meaning. It's able to be subversive. You know, it doesn't just play by the, the script and feed into what everybody, you know, wants to enjoy. You know, it's a provocative thing that helps you escape the cage. And here they had all these millions of dollars worth of priceless art, um, you know, from the centuries. And I felt like it was there on the wall, dying. And I feel like maybe that's what a lot of what we do with art—not only, you know, in pop culture, but even in the church. You know, we we believe we have to have this premise uh, that people have to soak up, and we refuse to take art into, you know, the streets where people are. Uh, instead, we mm. put it up on walls and put it on frames and hang it to unrelated art, except maybe it was, you know, painted in a similar time frame or by the same artist or whatever, you know, in a very categorized way. But it's like it becomes so sanitized and blah, that whatever that art meant, you know, 100 years ago, or 500 years ago, you know, it doesn't mean that now. And it's hanging on that wall, dead and lifeless. And I think when we engage in that sort of thing that you were just talking about, you know, art ceases to be art. Um Because it's you know being driven by an agenda that is foreign yeah. to that art,
0: yeah, and you know I, I think that's something as you were talking about this, I was thinking about too, how like worship music can be ruined by getting involved in a worship team <laughs> i'm about to I'm about to join a worship team soon here. Nice, but it's like you can get the joy taken out of it by being told exactly how to play your instrument because you got to play it exactly like so-and-so from right. the recording and there's, you know, or getting really technical. It's like, you got to play to a click. And so now you're hearing a click and I'm used to a click now at first, it was hard to get used to. Cause it's like, I want to hear what everybody else is hearing. I want to enjoy the music we're playing, but now I have to hear this click that no one else can hear, you know, but, um, it's like getting used to that and finding that, um, striking that balance between being technically sound and enjoying the music and experiencing the worship. And I mean, what's really interesting like as a worship leader is there's like a tension between being a leader and actually worshiping. Right. And what I figure is the optimal balance, is if you use your worship as a worship leader as intercession for the congregation, Mm. then you're actually projecting it over the congregation. And so it's still worship, but it's like you're trying to facilitate something for the congregation.
1: Mm. That's good. Well, John, thanks for coming on the show. Got a lot of here. Look forward to uh, making this live for the people. I'm going to have to trim it down because mm. we've got a lot of good stuff in here. But unfortunately, you know, kind of like when I did my podcast with Bill, <laughs> a little longer than I originally yeah. intended. But, uh, you know, we have lots of good stuff here. Tell me how, tell the people how they can find you. Where can they find you, John?
0: Find me on Twitter at Bridge Live L I V W A T. And bridge is spelled like bridge. Um, you can also find me on Facebook at Bridge Levoit as well. And then I mean like my Twitter has a link to my podcasts as well. So those are good places to
1: get Nice. Started. and you have music out there where what's the music published under and what, how
0: can they get it? That is All under the... Bridge Levoat and you could find it basically on any digital outlet music. You could actually just Google Bridge Liboit Music, and it should be able to show everything.
1: Okay. And uh, I'll try to link to that in the show notes for those of you who are interested at Jimmy'sTable.com, um, uh, or if you're listening on Apple or you know wherever you're listening to this on, you know, just check out the show notes, and I'll try to link that to there. So if, John, you could just send me links to all that, I'd really appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, okay, well, great. Thank you, John, for coming on. I really enjoyed this conversation about art. It was a lot of fun. And, uh, for those of you who are interested, jimmystable.com is where you can listen to all this and I'll have show notes and everything available for you. Um, this was episode 47, I believe. Yeah. Uh, I had my bonus episode last week, so it threw me off. Uh, <laughs> uh, so anyway, everybody take care. God bless. And, uh, hopefully you'll listen to, uh, everything that, uh, we have to say about art and, uh, hope you check out John's stuff. It's, it's really, it's i am i'm not lying to you it's different (laughs) it's very different um but you know i think um i've listened to it a couple times and uh it's good though it really is it'll make you think um and it'll stretch your imagination a bit maybe it might not be your cup of tea um it might be like me an acquired taste um but uh you know Have a sip, folks, uh, and enjoy John's stuff. He's got a lot of good stuff. I enjoy his podcast as well.
0: Do you see the light? What light? Have you seen the light? Yes! Yes! I have seen the light!
2: Air Smudge.